Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Thank you again and again and again for coming back to listen to these. Again, the uh, feedback I've been getting has been incredible. Many of you got to listen to the podcast with Brother Keith and myself, and uh, the feedback from that has been wonderful. I'm so glad it has been a help to you. I hope it continues to be a help to you. We have another one planned uh, that we're going to record here in the next week, and it will be available at the end of this month. So, uh, so praise the Lord. Thank you for taking the time to listen to those. Thank you for sharing them. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your messages. It is a blessing. We, we really appreciate it. We really enjoy reading them. And it's just, like I've said before, it's a blessing to know that anybody's listening to this. So, you know, it's, it goes out to a lot of people and, um, between the podcast audio and the YouTube videos, uh, you know, people are listening. Um, it, it's just rare that you actually hear back from someone to to get some, you know, to get an idea of uh, uh, who it's helping, if it's helping, who's interested, who's not interested. Uh, good feedback, bad feedback, but um, praise the Lord, uh, almost all the feedback has been good. Usually, if it's negative feedback, it's typically coming from someone who stumbled upon it, who would not be interested in that type of audio in the first place. Now. This podcast will be a continuation of our study through the book of Haggai. We are going to start in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to look at the first two verses today. Haggai 1, verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, saying... Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So Zechariah preached for two years. You know, and I, and I mentioned that because Haggai and Zechariah preached side by side. Haggai started, and then uh, Zechariah came along soon after. And Zechariah preached for about two years. Haggai preached for about four months, as far as we can tell. And the first message was delivered to Zerubbabel, the political leader, and to Jeshua, the, the, the religious leader. Uh, I mentioned in the previous broadcast on the book of uh, Haggai, 
Man, when, when, when Haggai came in to preach, he went straight to the leadership. Now, that's interesting because a lot of times when, when guys come into your church, pastors, <laughs> and they want members of your church to know something, they really come to the leadership <laughs> and let them know what it is they're trying to disseminate. They like to go hide in the back of the room. They like to um, take people aside and try to slip it in. In, in a covert manner, which, which is inappropriate. Haggai went straight to the leadership. He didn't go hiding around, beating around the bush, hiding in the back of the church, sitting in the middle of the pew somewhere, uh, praying on people who are weak in the faith, new in the faith, you know, people who are zealous and excited. They, they didn't take advantage of those people. They went to the leadership. Now, the starting point for Haggai's message dealt with what the people were saying. That is a scary thought. For God to have a prophet show up and start dealing with what you've been saying. I hope that has a, as profound an impact on you as it does on me. To, to consider that if God wanted to, he could show, have somebody show up tomorrow and have a list of what I've been saying. <laughs> uh, God's got that ability. He could certainly do that. Now, how we think and what we say, no doubt, eventually affects what we do. And God went straight to the source. He didn't start with what they were doing. That came around eventually. God eventually dealt with what they had been doing. But instead, God went directly after what they had been saying. And that is, that's crucial. That's, that's very important because when you consider what people think and you consider that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, that's the source of the trouble. You know, dealing with people's actions you know, being anti-abortion, being anti-homosexuality, being anti-transgender, that's, that's a, that is a statement that denies people's actions. As Christians, we want to get to the source of the matter. And the source of the matter is not what they're doing. What they're doing is an outworking of what they're saying, what they're thinking, what's in their heart, what's in their mind. And that's where Christianity does its, its, its work. Uh, the Word of God is quick and powerful, you know, and it, and it cuts to the dividing asunder. It, it goes deep. And that's what we want to do. Uh, all this, uh, you know, all this political rhetoric attacking people's actions or, and even street preachers. We have all these street preachers who go out and hold up signs saying, um, you know, they, they hold up these disgusting signs that, that are unbiblical and, and not Christian in any way and have nothing to do with the gospel in any way. And, and not only that, but they, you know, women will walk by dressed inappropriately, and and there's a time and a place to deal with the way that woman is dressed. But as she's walking by on the street half drunk, that's not the time or the place. She, she could care less what you think about how she's dressed. And so for you to call her a whore or for you to begin yelling out, uh, you know, uh, disgusting, you know, expletives, that you should not be using and, and, and addressing the actions of lost people before you deal with the source of those actions, that's not, that's not helpful. It doesn't, it, it, you know, it just, it gives people a disgusting taste in their mouth for, for, for people who believe the Bible, and you're not helping anyone. You're not getting the gospel to those people. They shut down. They want, don't want to talk to you. They don't want to hear you. Then when they get down the road and meet someone who would actually take the time and deal with them at the proper level to get them the gospel, they don't want to hear what they have to say because they equate those of us who want to get the gospel out 
with those of you who just want to go out on the street and, and, and yell horrible things at people. So um, what you say and what you think, that's, that's where what you do comes from. If you want to know how you think, if you want to know what the, what the source of your thoughts are, then ask yourself what you do on a daily basis. What do you look at on a daily basis? What You take your actions and you trace those actions back to the thoughts that caused them. You, t- you, you, know, you trace it back to what you've been saying, what you've been thinking. That, that'll, that'll eventually spark what you're doing. So God sends Haggai to confront the people, and he says, this people say. And we want to look at what the people were saying in light of what God said. Because what they're saying is in direct contradiction with what God told them to do, what God instructed them to do. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Does that sound even slightly relevant to the world we live in today? So, uh, you know, we want to take some time and look at this. So we're going to jump back to Ezra chapter 1, and and we want to build up to to what God said, and then to what happened, and then back to the confrontation where God dealt with them for their inactivity. So Ezra chapter 1, Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. That is significant. It wasn't just lip service. He wrote it down. And and in their kingdom, if you read back through the history of of the, the Medes and the Persians, once it was written down, that was law. That was it. So... Uh, He also put it in writing, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he hath charged me to build him in house. Now listen to that. And he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. That's very interesting. You think about what Cyrus said there in light of what Judah was saying. The time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Well, that's odd because this Gentile king who sent you back to Jerusalem is saying right here and putting it in writing. God told me, send Judah back and build the temple, build the house of the Lord. Then Judah gets back and they're sitting around building their own houses, focused on themselves. And when somebody says, how come you're not building that temple? You were sent back here to build. Oh, it's just not, it's not time. Cyrus thought it was time. The testimony of Cyrus is that God told me, send Judah back. He gave me all the kingdoms of the earth. He put me in charge. And now that I'm in charge, he instructed me to instruct you, go back to Jerusalem, build a house unto your God. Somehow Judah got off track. So the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now, when... When did he want this done? Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised to go to build the house of the Lord, which is at Jerusalem. 
there was no confusion. When they left Babylon, which was now in, under the control of uh, Persia, the Persian king Cyrus took Babylon. With Babylon, he took Judah, and he, he makes this proclamation. The, the God who gave me all these kingdoms told me, Get all, gather Judah together, gather the vessels of God together, send them all back to Jerusalem, and, and I want you to pay for it, and I want you to fund the building of the new, of the new temple. Cyrus said, okay, who is there among you? that belong to Judah. You're going back. You're going back and you're going to rebuild this temple. God said to rebuild this temple. I'm sending you back to rebuild this temple. And then we get the testimony that, that the hearts of the, the, the man of Judah, so that, that'd be their leadership. Zerubbabel, Joshua, they're ready to go. God has stirred their spirits. He raised their spirits and, and, and they all got ready. They went back to Jerusalem. Cyrus understood his kingdom was delivered to him by God. He made no mistake about that. He made no bones about that. He didn't need to be sent out back to, to act like a wild animal, you know, eating the, the, the grass of the earth. Uh, he didn't act like Nebuchadnezzar. Cyrus just said outright, I have this because the God of heaven and earth gave it to me. Now we're going to go build his temple the way he asked. And uh, he makes this appeal to the people who belong to God. Now, doesn't that make, wouldn't it make sense if, if the government, instead of telling you what they think God says, which is really just a mask to, to justify some idiotic policy that they want to institute, instead of doing that, don't you think they would come to God's people and say, what does God say about this? Or what does God say about that? No, that, that's not what they do. Instead, what, what they do is they try and, they try and manipulate the word of God and rest it to their own destruction. And they think that we're going to buy into it and follow along because they use the name of Jesus. I often wonder, do they realize that all, they, all they've done is make us despise them even more and, and expose their stupidity to us even more? How could you be so ignorant? If I went to you know, an electrical engineer and I began telling him how the electronics of some area of his expertise worked, he would laugh in my face, and he should. But politicians want to use and abuse the word of God and pretend like it's okay and pretend like we're supposed to just accept what they say. <laughs> no, I'm going to laugh in your face. You're a joke. But Cyrus didn't do that. He said, what I have, it came from God. And that God asked me to build him a temple. Where's Judah? Judah, you're going back to build this temple. And by the way, you're going to need this and that for the free will offering. So I'm going to make sure you have it. What did Cyrus know about the free will offering? <laughs> he made sure they had what they needed. He even displays some knowledge of, of Jewish sacrifice, which is amazing. That the king of Persia, who just took Babylon, has this understanding and wants to make sure Judah has what they need to go back and do what they need to do. But we want to look closely again at verse, at verse 2. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. And then he says, go, go do it. But then we get to Haggai chapter 1 and we have Judah. The time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. I don't know. We're just waiting for that time to come. I mean, it's, it's you know, I guess we'll just keep building our own houses and taking care of ourselves until, until that time comes, whatever that time is. <laughs> and it didn't take long. It didn't take long for them to get off track. It doesn't take long for you and I to get off track if we don't stay focused on the Lord, if we don't stay focused on truth, and we don't do what God has asked us to do. If, if you're not going to stay focused, it, it'll be easy to get off track. 
and we don't want to get off track. There's so much work that needs to be done in this world. We got to stay focused and stay on track. And so people say a lot of foolish things. Uh, you, all you need is, is five minutes on any form, any form of social media. And you can see that people are not only stupid, they're proud of how stupid they are. They want to record it and put it out for the world to see. Uh, people are often so bold as to say things, and then they'll even give God the credit for the stupidity. It's, it's frustrating. Um, you know, an example of something silly to say would be, this people say, the time has not come. Why would you say that? Why, why would you deceive yourself and, and, and convince yourself into thinking it is acceptable to, to speak and act contrary to the clear dictates of God. That passage we read in Ezra chapter 1 couldn't be any more clear. Go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the house of God. And now here you are in Jerusalem, man, I wonder what God wants us to do. That is exactly how we act today. We meet people all over the world. You know, as a missionary, you get to travel a lot, you get to meet a lot of people, and you meet, you meet sincere person after sincere person who will look you in the face and say, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm still trying, I'm just hoping he'll show me. You don't know. You don't have a Bible. You haven't, you haven't been sitting under preaching that, that is teaching you the Bible. You have no idea what God wants you to do. When he, Cyrus put it in writing. God put it in writing. He has put clearly in writing what his expectations are of us. And we sit around looking at, you know, twiddling our thumbs and saying, I, I don't know what God wants me to do. I hope, hope he'll show me someday. That, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to work. That's not, it's not acceptable. It's not excusable. It's not sensible. So Ezra chapter 3 and verse 1, And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. So here we are, they, they, they got the commandment from Cyrus, they, they've gathered everyone together, they've received the vessels from Cyrus, and now they're on their way back to Jerusalem. Then they get to Jerusalem and they assemble themselves together and immediately, immediately put the altar of God back in its place. And they immediately be, restore sacrifice unto God. And they immediately look back. What did David do? Oh, David was singing. Let's, let's, let's get the singers together. Let's sing the way David sang to God. They immediately got that restored. Then they laid the foundation. I mean, the, the work was just moving fast on. It was doing great. They were moving in the right direction. They reestablished worship in accord with the law of Moses. You're probably tired of hearing me say that at this point, but I'm going to emphasize it every opportunity I get. They're singing in accord with the way David was singing. I mean, they are reestablishing godly worship. The work is going great. So what happened? Uh, Ezra 4 verses 1 through 5 now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, let us build with you for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esau Haddon, king of Asser, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God. You don't have anything to do with this, but we ourselves together will build. Now that's, 
That's telling. We'll come back to that. But we ourselves together will build under the Lord God of, of, of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Hmm. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in the building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So their attitudes, their words, their actions, and this is true for you and I, this is easy to sit back and point this out about Judah from here now, but this is true in your life and it's true in my life. As a matter of fact, this is why the world is falling apart, because they're trying to make these realities appear not to be true, but reality repeatedly testifies against them. Your, your words, your attitude, your actions, man, they, they tell on you. They witness against you. But we ourselves together. Now, this is the testimony of Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the leadership of Judah. We ourselves together will build unto the Lord our God. It, it seems to me like they understand it is time to build the house of God. And then they go on to say, Cyrus commanded us and told us that God told him, now is the time to build the house of God. But we get to Haggai and they're saying something very different. In this instance, they allowed their adversaries to put them in the corner and they were unwilling to fight out of it. They bowed down to their adversaries. They said, okay, you don't want us to build? Uh, we'll try to hold out for a little while. We'll try to keep this going for a little while. But if you really don't want us to build, well, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to force our religion down your throat or anything like that. <laughs> so we'll let you force your religion down our throats. We'll let you force us to stop, but we we don't, we don't want to do anything to, you know, hinder you or to be mean to you or to cause problems for you. And, and so that's, that's where they are. They wouldn't do anything about it. Now we may never reach a time. Probably one of the most obvious statements that could be made. It's not deep. It's not, you know, don't expect too much of it, but it, but it is unbelievably clear and true. We may never reach a time in which the world will leave God's people alone. There will never be a convenient time to do the work of God. If you have an excuse, you can always find one. Life will always throw something at you that's going to make this difficult, that's going to make this hard. You just got to, you got to press on. You've got to stay faithful. You've got to persevere. Um, now, serve yourself. The world will help you with that. That's, they're okay with that. They love self-esteem. Self-esteem, self-focus. I've got to take care of me. Well, <laughs> I fail to see at, at which point in time you were not taking care of you. <laughs> it seems like that's been your focus you know, uh, since, since your inception. So, uh, but if you try to switch that thing and you try to serve God instead, you, you're going to get pushed back. They're going to come back. They're going to get in your face. They're going to become angry. They're going to become indignant. They will let you know, as long as you're serving yourself, as long as you're working on your self-esteem, you, you go tell somebody you have low self-esteem They'll, they'll pat you on the back and hug you and love you and just tell you how great you are and how great you, you should think you are. But if you come back and say, you know what? I believe I should esteem others better than myself. And the, the source of that attitude is my devotion to Jesus Christ. Oh, you bigot. <laughs> they will flip on you. Uh, the people of the land, AKA the people of this world, if we're going to 
make this applicable to us here and now, uh, they will weaken your hands. Whatever they can do to weaken your hands, to, to, to make your hands busy with something else, to make your hands idle. They'll give you video games. They'll, they'll give you amusement parks. They'll give you whatever, whatever is necessary to keep your hands from, from being set to the plow and plowing ground and sowing seed and, and preaching the gospel the way that the Lord wants us to. Um, if that doesn't work, they will trouble you in your service to Jesus Christ. They're just going to cause harm. I know our church back home, our church in Deland, Florida, um, I, I believe if I remember correctly, the ratio is about every 10 years. There's a meeting in the city, at the city council in Deland, Florida, where, they, where, they, uh, where somebody has brought before the, the, the city council the idea that the Bible Baptist Church should be removed from the streets. They should not be allowed to hold signs and preach the gospel. Now, praise God, God has given us the victory every time, and there have been some exciting meetings during those instances, but when you're in the middle of it all, when you're in the heat of it all, it, it's, it, 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 the pressure is heavy. You know, you, you don't know how it's going to go. Is God going to give us the victory this time? Because he, he may or he may not. That doesn't change the fact that we should be out on, the, on those street corners preaching and holding up signs, but when you're in the heat of the trouble... It's not so, you know, it's easy to be dogmatic when you're sitting comfortably, you know, in America in air conditioning on the internet. <laughs> but when you got, you know, there, there were about 30, 40, 50 of our church members out on the street corner and you got about a hundred infidels out surrounding us. Uh, they've hired women to dress provocatively. They got homosexuals out there saying that they're, they're a happy homosexual and holding up signs saying, you know, happy homosexual and all these, all these crazy things. Uh, you know, a green haired old lady holding up a sign saying that she's a happy atheist. You know, when they're coming after you like that, the pressure gets, gets hot. You got to stay faithful. Praise God for the leadership of our church. They, they have, they have been great examples to us, for us, of handling that pressure both tactfully and staying faithful as, as, as the pressure comes on. You know, I praise God for that. That has been a big help to me now that I'm a missionary all the way across the world in Africa. Situations arise and, and you can either go be dogmatic and beat your head against it and possibly cause more trouble than, 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 you know, than it was worth. Or you can be faithful to God and be tactful at the same time and try to handle the situation in a way that, that, that allows you to continue in your service to God. And, and while the people who don't want you, the people that are troubling your, your, you and your service, um, it, it might appease them. It might cause them to back off a little bit, but they're not going to quit. You're, you're never going to make everybody happy, so we're going to please God. But but saying that I'm going to I'm I'm, I'm going to continue to do what I want to do so that I can please God. If you use that as an opportunity to be a jerk, you're, you're just making things worse. And so there, there's a way to do these things and be tactful at the same time. But you can't quit. Quitting is not an option. You know, compromise. The compromise can only go so far. We have very little space for compromise. And um, in order to remain faithful to the Lord, there might be some measure of compromise. You may not be able to, and you've got you've to distinguish 
in the idea of compromise, you have to distinguish between doing things the way you want to do them and doing things the way the Bible requires you to do them. Sometimes there are traditional ways we have adopted in, in, in uh, expressing our form of Christianity. And we believe that if we don't maintain that tradition, even in the light of political pressure or, or adversaries that are forming against us, we think we're compromising. And that's not the case. You just may not be able to do it the way that you want to. That's not a compromise. That's not a biblical compromise that is, that is a, a, a bad thing. Looking at this and saying, okay, how can we still get the gospel out? How can we still meet and have church? How can we do what God has told us to do and not have everybody cast into prison or executed? <laughs> um, you know, there, there, there's some reasonable ways to do some of that. Now, sometimes you can only go so far. And, and the adversaries are just going to trouble you. But if there are reasonable ways, reasonable things you can look at and say, you know, if I just didn't do this, we'd be out of sight, out of mind, but still be able to accomplish what the Lord wants us to accomplish. That's what we're going to do. You need to add some tact to things. Now, those of you that know me probably didn't know that I had the word tact in my vocabulary, but you can thank David Brown for that. He's helped me a lot with that over the years. He's a, he's a good brother. He's He's very tactful. <laughs> so praise the Lord. So these people are troubling them. The world around you will enlist counselors against you. That situation back in Deland, Florida, it went from college students harassing us. Uh, and then we found out that the source of the matter was a lawyer in town who, who decided it would benefit him uh, to stir up all this trouble. They, they had counselors against us. They're going to do the same thing to you. And and their intent is to frustrate your purpose. If they can't stop you, they can't force you, they can't make you, then they're going to do all they can to trouble you and to frustrate you. you got to stay focused. you got to stay faithful. Now, they can suppress your witness for Christ. If they can, they're going to. If you allow them, they're going to. Now, changing your methods in order to, to facilitate less trouble and more witnessing, that's again, that's not a negative thing. That's a good thing. And if you can do that, then do that. But sometimes there, there's going to be no wiggle room. There's going to be no place for compromise. And you're going to have to go head on into the, into the problems. But if you allow them, they are going to frustrate you. They're going to cause problems. And then suddenly your service to Christ is no longer a joy. Even though the Bible says you should count it joy or and or happy are ye, <laughs> when you are persecuted for the gospel's sake. So we got to keep these things in perspective. We've got to do what we can to be faithful to Jesus Christ. We're not here to maintain a Baptist method. I, I like tradition. I, I like biblical tradition. I like traditions that facilitate uh, uh, proper and, and, and holy and righteous worship and service and all these wonderful things that come with the Christian life. You know, tradition and convictions and standards, they have without a doubt, been abused over the years. They can become abusive. They can get off track. But for the most part, when well thought out and put in place, they help provide you with good, solid boundaries that keep you on the straight and narrow path. And, and I hope your, your goal is to stay on the straight and narrow. You want to stay faithful to the Lord and you want to do things in a way, in a, in a way that is orderly and that is righteous, that is holy, that, that honors and glorifies the Lord. And, and so Trashing your church and, and beating against tradition, that, that's not going anywhere. Baptist churches deserve a, a goodly amount of criticism, especially today, because 
so much of the, the pride and attachment to being called a Baptist is based on 50, 60, or even 100 years ago. It's not based on what Baptist churches are doing today. And so everyone wants to pretend we're still the Baptist church of 60 years ago, and we're not. And so a lot of times proper criticism gets left out, and, and proper criticism is merited. But you just not liking some aspect of your church and deciding it's okay for you to bash your church because you don't like it, that's not proper. That's inappropriate, and it's not helpful. And the adversaries of what your church is trying to accomplish should be coming from the outside, not from the inside. If you don't like what your church is doing, go somewhere else, quietly and peacefully. Don't stay there and cause, cause problems and, and, uh, and hinder the work of God. Don't, don't become the adversary. <laughs> you know, th- think about that. Your church can't move three steps ahead without fighting you. That's not good. That, that's... You know, that's, and I understand, look, I I am all for you opening your Bible and telling your pastor or men in leadership, hey, I think we got a problem here. Can we talk about it? But if every time your pastor and the men in leadership see you, they cringe because all you do is cause problems, you're, you're out of control and you need, you need to stop being an adversary of the word of God and of the work of God and start becoming an asset. Now, you, you know, they're going to trouble you. They're going to make your hands weak. They're going to hire counselors against you. But that does not, that does not give, give us reason to then take the commandment that God gave us, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, I, you know, we're having a lot of trouble right now. So I, I think we're just going to, I don't think it's a good time to go preach the gospel. Really? I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. You might say it's a hard time to go preach the gospel, and and you might get a sympathetic ear from God if you say that, especially if he sees that you recognize it's hard and it's difficult, and you continue to go and do it, and you do your best to, to be faithful. But to have hard times come and say that because of these hard times, we are now going to flip the commandment of God on his head and say that it's no longer necessary, that's highly highly inappropriate. That's not going to work. God's not going to accept that as we see in the book of Haggai. He didn't accept it from Judah. He's not going to accept it from you and I. This does not permit a lack of action and in doing what we have been instructed to do by God's word. So not only did they flip what God said, God said through Cyrus to Judah and, and Ezra chapter four makes very clear. Judah understood it. Judah recognized it. God said very clearly, go build the house of God. And now here we are in the book of Haggai and Judah saying, I, I mean, now's not the time, right? What you say is going to have a, a major bearing on what you end up doing. What you're thinking is going to have a major bearing on what you end up doing. Now, the solution is to persevere, press through whatever it is. Again, there's nothing wrong with trying to find out if there's a path of least resistance. Now, that doesn't mean a path of major compromise, on the word of God, but a, path, but, a, but a way forward that would allow you to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. Again, maybe not the way you want to. For instance, we're in lockdown here in Uganda. We can't just meet at the church house in defiance of, of the government and do what we want. That, that's not wise, but we're also not going to shut down the church. Now you say, so what do you do? Well, having a building to meet in is a luxury, so we have to spread out, break up, and meet elsewhere. 
And so that's what we've done, and that's what we're going to continue to do if this lockdown continues. We're not here to fight the government. They're trying to accomplish whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. You know, praise the Lord. You know, they got the head of state has to make some hard decisions. Whatever the source, whatever the motivation of those decisions, that might be debatable, but he's still got to make the decisions, and we have to abide by them. But we also have to obey God. And God said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And so we're going to obey God. But that doesn't mean we show up at the church house in full force in defiance of the government. We obey God by finding other means to assemble together respectfully and try not to cause too much trouble. Now they come and they start saying, you can't do that. Well, now we got another problem. You know, now we have to, now we got to be a little more defiant than we want it to be. But we're not, we're not here to fight governments. We're not here to cause problems. We are here to win people to Christ, teach them the word of God, equip them to serve Christ, and then send them out to do it. <laughs> and so uh, we, we just got to keep those things in mind. Now, Judah allowed this adversity to shut down the work of God. Their adversaries made accusations against Judah and against Jerusalem that invoked the authority of the king of Persia. That's a big deal. You, you don't want, in the days of kings, you don't want the king of Persia knocking on your door. And so Artaxerxes got involved, and he decided to join in troubling God's people. Then for years, uh, somewhere between 10 and 15 years, depending on how you, you lay it out, for years, no work whatsoever was done on the house of God. This is a complex but shameful situation. How long has it been since you told somebody about Jesus Christ? How long has it been since you've been to church? Are you using the internet as an excuse not to go to church? Has it been years since you've done what God expected you to do and told you to do and has made clear, clear to you he wanted you to do? These things ought not to be, but they are. They are. And far too many of our lives, we... we we allow people who should have no say in what we do to have far too much control. Too often we allow circumstances to shut us down. And God doesn't find that acceptable. And he might send somebody to put his finger in your chest. He might send somebody to say, you know, this is what you've been saying. And it's not what I said. You're saying, you're saying this. That's not what I said. What we're saying are, are, are incompatible, and I can see the result of it because you're not doing what I asked you to do. And the Word of God is clear. The Word of God, if you want to know what God wants you to do, it's in the Word of God. Open that book, go to your New Testament, find, a, find an epistle that is directly related to the New Testament church, read it, and do it. It couldn't be any more simple than that. If you find a verse you don't understand, okay, move on to the next one. There are plenty of verses you're already that you do understand and you're not obeying for you to get hung up on one that you don't understand. Come back to it later. But we, we need people to be faithful. Now, Ezra 5, verses 1 through 12, then the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and, and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel and Jeshua the son of Josedek and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. Then the prophets. There's no doubt you've heard preaching. 
uh, preaching is so abundant these days. I, I, you know, someone who would sit and listen to what I'm teaching, you have per- probably heard ample, ample, good, strong preaching. If you'll sit through one of my hour-long, verse-by-verse, picking apart every little detail, if you'll sit and listen to one of my videos, then you're probably someone who loves preaching, who loves the Bible, and, and, and you've heard plenty, plenty of it. But God's preachers began to preach the Word of God and to stir the people. Later in Ezra, in, in, um, in, in Ezra five, I believe it is. It says it says that um, that that Judah prospered under that preaching. That's what's going to change people. That's what's going to help people preaching the word of God. It is it is essential. Now this Ezra five takes us back to Haggai chapter one. That's where we pick up and and and. Haggai has begun to preach. Haggai and Zechariah preached consecutively, but Haggai started first two months before Zechariah. And this takes us back there, takes us back to our starting uh, proposition that Haggai began talking to the leaders of Judah. If you read Ezra 5, you know, then the prophets began to preach to Zerubbabel and to Jeshua. So it goes right back there. Now, Zerubbabel represents the political and in the Bible, we are commanded to submit ourselves to political leaders. There's no doubt about that. A lot of Christians have taken a very rebellious idea in, in their approach to, to political powers. And it's tempting, especially when you look at the, the high levels of stupidity and the highest levels of our government. We, we like to think that Man, if they're in the Senate, if they're in the Congress, if, if they're on the Supreme Court, if they're the president of the United States, they must be, it must be the best our country has to offer. I, I think the past, probably the past four elections have thoroughly proved that the people getting into the, the, the most powerful position on the planet are not our best. You can go all. I mean, that goes back. You, you can go back even even further. I, I you know, they, <laughs> I think we've got ample evidence that the best the the best our country has to offer, they are not ending up in the government. These are crooks that are these crooked people are getting into the highest offices of our land, and then they stay there like like it's high class welfare is what it turns into. They're a bunch of useless morons, but you elected them. And that's where we are. And if you don't think elections work, well, <laughs> uh, that's not a topic we're going to get into. Um, they are there. They are political leaders. We are expected to obey them. Obey the stupid. That's praise the Lord. That's where we are. And then we are not to speak evil of our political leaders. You say, but you just called them stupid. I don't think that's evil. I think that's an accurate description of who they are. Maybe maybe that is a maybe that is a private interpretation, but uh, I, I I'm not I'm not speaking evil of dignitaries. I, I'm just noting that. You, come on, Joe Biden. You gonna tell me that that name and and not because of his his modern day cognitive troubles. Joe Biden has been a stupid person since the day he got in the Senate eighty five years ago. So. He still thinks he's in the Senate. 
All through his campaign for presidency, he kept saying, I'm running for the United States Senate. Like, no, you're not. You're running to be the president. God help us, please, <laughs> please. And so you're, you're not to speak evil of political leaders, but rather pray for them so that we can live peaceable lives. I would say the lack of the existence of the lack of peace in our country, in the United States, now it comes around from time to time. This happened in the 60s. It happened before that. America has not lacked trouble over the years. It's, it's, it's had its ups and downs. But a lack of peace may directly be related to a lack of prayer. Just, just a suggestion, just an idea. So if you want that peace to return, if you want an emphasis on, on the peace that God can give, not the peace that your government's promising you, uh, then somebody might want to start praying. Uh, that being said, they are not above the preaching and the teaching of God's word. Ask John the Baptist. Ask the Apostle Paul. Ask Peter. Look, we are, to, we are not to speak evil of dignitaries. We are not to, to fight against our government. We are, we are to be submissive to our government. We are subject to our government, whether we like it or not. But that does not excuse them from the need to be, for being told what the word of God says directly related to their situation. They are not exempt. Now, we are subject to them. So like John the Baptist, you might end up in a prison cell. And like the Apostle Paul, you might end up in a prison cell with your back laid open. And with the, with the, uh, the high levels of corruption that are being exposed recently in, in various levels of our government, uh, they, they might just decide to come after you. Uh, we, we st- that's trouble. Those are adversaries. We still don't get to stop the work of God. We still have to stay focused and do what the Lord has asked us to do. Now, Joshua represents the religious leaders, and they are not, they are not above rebuke from the Word of God. They are not above your rebuke from the Word of God. Now, if you're going to let that idea cause you to be a, a, a troublemaker and to be a rebel in your church, then you need to be rebuked by the Word of God. My pastor is James Knox. If I saw him doing something that was unbiblical, he, he is wide open for me to sit down with him in his office and to tell him, brother, this is what I saw. This is what I think. He has, he has had people do it. Not that he, you know, runs around doing ungodly things that need rebuke, but people have seen things or heard things or thought things that they wanted to talk with him about. And he is open to that conversation. That's a good pastor. I know other men, great pastors who are not above rebuke. They understand that. They know that. But that's not an excuse for you to go and cause problems. Just because you think you have something right, a good approach would be, hey, brother, can I talk to you about something? I think I've seen something. I'm not sure if I'm right or not, but I'd like to talk to you about it. But if you go in guns blazing, you're a rebel. You're just trying to cause problems. Now, nobody in leadership is above reproach, is above somebody taking the word of God and saying, (laughs) we need to talk about this. But what is your motive? Are you just trying to prove to somebody that you think you've got something right and they have it wrong or you think you see something better and they, and they don't see it as well as you do? What is your motive for going to these people and, and blasting them with your idea? 
I thank God that I have a pastor that I can talk to. I don't want to abuse that or misuse that. I appreciate that. That is a blessing that somebody like James Knox would, would be willing to hear what I have to say. As if you don't know him, uh, he, he's fairly well versed in the word of God. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And, and it's not like I'm going to be bringing something to him that he's not aware of. But he, he is open and willing to talk with me about whatever it is that's on my mind. If that is my intention. If my intention is to say, brother, that I, this is on my mind. I'd like to talk to you about it. Can I show you this? Can we discuss this? He's wide open for it. No problem. But if I go in there trying to blast him in the face and being disrespectful to my pastor, it's not going to go well. That wouldn't go well with anybody in any way. So I, I don't want you to conflate these ideas and, and, and confuse them and use it to justify some, something that you've decided you want to do. So today God is still building his house. Now we're going to once again note the stark difference between the church and Israel, between the church and Judah. Judah was building a physical house in Jerusalem. We are the body of Christ. We are building a spiritual house, the body of Christ itself, which is a building fitly framed together. And God wants to use you and me to accomplish this work. Man, if you could get a hold of that idea, do you? so many of you don't understand your relevance in the body of Christ, your importance in the body of Christ. You think that there are people in positions of spiritual leadership and it's their job to do the work and to do the building, and that's not the case. You're, you're responsible for, for getting in on this. And I, and I hope I, can, hope I can express that idea clear enough that God's people will begin to realize how relevant they are to the accomplishment of the great commission of spreading the gospel of getting the word of God to the lost. You are so needed in that work and that activity. And I hope you'll join into it. First Timothy chapter three, verses 14 through 15. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The house of God is the church. God wants you to know how to behave in that building, in that entity. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we, we, that's me, that's you, that's everybody who has put their faith and trust in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ— this is you. You're that we. We are that we, <laughs> if I can put it that way. For we are laborers together with God. We're going to read the rest of the verse in a second, but think, I want you to think about that. We are laborers together with God. So if you have not been laboring, God's been working, and his hope has been all this time that you would labor alongside him and you haven't been there. That, to me, that's an incredible thought. When I, when I, you know, I, I, I record podcasts, I study my Bible, I teach the Bible. Uh, we're teaching in a, a TBI coming up here pretty soon, Lord willing. That's a, that's a triennial Bible uh, uh, institute. Um, 
uh, a couple brothers and I go out on the streets and we go out and preach the gospel. Since last Wednesday, today is uh, Wednesday the 20, 28th, since last Wednesday, uh, the Lord has allowed myself, my wife, and, my, and, my, and a brother that helps me, his name is Gross, we have, we have, the Lord has allowed us, the Lord has helped us to, to win six souls to Christ. Praise God. Now that's exciting. It's, it's, especially after a couple of weeks, Gross and I were going out and we were running into some of the hardest people you can imagine and having some of the most, uh, it, it's like having a conversation with a brick wall. And then all of a sudden, last Wednesday until this Wednesday, all of a sudden, the Lord just opened all these doors, all these wonderful people start coming in our pathway, and we're giving them the gospel, and they're wide open to talking about it, and they're so interested, and then they trust in Christ, and now they, they have discipleship paperwork in their hands, and man, what a blessing. And so, I got to do that alongside God. <laughs> all this labor... All this work, you know, I, I, I get up early, I come up to the church, I study, I read, I record, I write, I, I, I'm, you know, the men come here in, in, into my office and they have questions and I, I try to talk with them and mentor them. And uh, Brother Keith, the other missionary that we're working in with here, sometimes he's got things going on where he may need my help or I may need his help. And we're, we're just constantly doing the work that needs to be done. But to think that the entire time we're doing that, we are laborers together with God. I'm telling you that, that gives me chills. That, that just puts a, just, just a spring of flowing water in my heart. That is incredible. And so if you haven't been serving God, however long you've been saved, God's laboring, God's working. Where are you at? Clock in, <laughs> get to work for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry Ye are God's building. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. The Lord is building a building. We get to build with him, but this is a spiritual house, not a physical house. You, you are the temple of God. You are that building. You are part of that building. The body of Christ is that building. And we are, we are, fitly framed together. We are co-laborers with God. Don't, don't miss this opportunity. In this life, here and now, don't miss the opportunity you have to serve God and, and, and to work alongside Him and, and enjoy the incredible benefits of, of working alongside the Lord. So back to Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Here are people that have neglected God for years, and now God is going to address them. He's going to come. He's going to say what he's got to say. The first thing God wants the people to know, he wants them to know, I know what you've been saying. I know what you've been saying. 
and it has sparked what you've been what what you've been doing. Now, just something else to think about: Matthew twelve, uh, verse thirty six. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Man, that's a scary thought. That's that's something that you and I desperately need to keep in mind as we go through life, as we, as we live the Christian life, as we try and do what God wants us to do and live the way God wants us to live and be what God wants us to be. It is essential that you keep in mind, God knows what you're saying and every idle word will be judged. God's going to deal with it. And so keep those things in mind. We read that Cyrus received a command from the Lord Send Judah back to Jerusalem and have them rebuild the house of God. That's what he wanted them to do. But then Cyrus, by his own testimony, noted this was not his idea, but that the God of Israel instructed him to do this. He received clear command from God. So he sends Judah back to Jerusalem. They began rebuilding the house of God only to be shut down by the government, only to, be, only to allow the government to shut them down. They didn't try to find any way of compromise. They didn't try to press through the trouble. They just allowed the government to to shut them down. And that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Now, when Haggai arrives on the scene, God says, you tell the people what they have been saying. The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. How can the people claim the time has not come to build the Lord's house when God himself instructed Cyrus, who instructed Judah, and, and then we have documented testimonies of Zerubbabel and Jeshua saying that they understood, go back, rebuild the house of God. There's a, a preacher from Missouri, from Missouri, I believe he's from St. Louis, Missouri anyways, and he used to say that's the insanity of sin. And that's right. The insanity of sin. It's, it's insane. What, what are you thinking? How can you say that? And so it's the insanity of sin. We are subject to the government, but when the government's commands contradict the word of God, we are responsible to obey God. There will rarely be a comfortable and easy time when full obedience to God will be easy to accomplish. We're looking for easy and easy is never going to come. We're looking for comfortable. Rather than allowing the God of all comfort to, to be our joy and to be our hope and to be our comfort through the trouble, we want the God of all comfort to take away the trouble so we can be physically comfortable. And that's not, you've got it backwards. That's not how it works. God provides you the comfort you need while going through the tribulation, while going through the trouble. He doesn't take away the trouble so that you can be physically comfortable. That's, that's not what he's offering. That, that's an idea that we have in our own minds. We cannot sit and wait for a time more conducive to serving God. This world is enmity with God. They will not rest. They will always produce adversity. Uh, they have plenty of it, and it's becoming stranger by the moment. God's people seem to have this propensity for setting the work of God aside. Your life appeareth for a little time. You don't have much time to serve God. And he wants you to labor along beside him. Take advantage of that. Um, why does you only live once, <laughs> YOLO, which is an idiotic idea, why does it only work in one direction? 
Why does it only work in the slothful, irresponsible direction? How come you don't say, man, I only live once. I better serve God as hard as I can. Why do you say I only live once? I better go waste my life. I just, I don't understand how it, how it only goes in the one direction. It never goes in the other direction. That's how you know, that's how you know it's a failed philosophy. If it, if it was a proper philosophy, it would motivate you whatever direction you decided to go, but it only, it only helps people become comfortable with being losers and enjoying it. And we have no time for that. There will never be a convenient time to do right. But there will be ample time to do wrong, to be lazy, to be complacent, to live in fear. That will be, that will be in abundance. That's the state of this world. So if you want to go with the course of this world, that's easy. They have plenty to offer you. YouTube, Facebook, video games, movies. They've got, if you just want to be lazy and to waste your time, man, there is ample opportunity for you to do that. Ample. But we don't, we don't want to do that. Um, we want to make sure that our time is being used. We want to redeem the time. We want to use it properly. Um, now, just an idea to consider. How is it that 10% or less of the people at your church can find time to be there and serve and, and can find time to give, but so many others can't find any time whatsoever to participate? There's, a, there's, a, there's an inordinate problem there. The, the, the same people can always be there. They can always make time. They can always rearrange their schedule. They can always give more. They can always do more. But the bulk of the people coming can never make time, can never do more, can never find more to give. It just, that's a heart matter. That's a heart problem. And our, we, we need our churches to correct that so that our churches can be strengthened and, and so I hope you will examine yourself in light of that and, and do so. Now here, Judah was given ample time and ample resources to, to build the house of God. They had all that they needed. They, needed, they lacked nothing, and they did not get the job done. Um, have you considered the, the resources you have? Have you considered the life that God's given you? Have you joined the bandwagon of pretending that you're some kind of victim? Or have you, have you actually thought about the incredible blessings God has given you that are available to you that you can use to serve the Lord right now? I hope you'll do it. What ability do you have to preach and to spread the gospel? It may be that you have some reasonable limitations. It could be. You know, there are people who are in a wheelchair. There are some elderly people who just can't get out on the street the way that they used to. Uh, there are some reasonable limitations, but those limitations, you know, do they prevent you from spreading your political messages? Do they prevent you from going to the grocery store? Do you still work despite those limitations? You know, there's something you can do within the bounds of the physical limitations you might have. Now, and that's a small group. The rest of us create limitations so that we have an excuse not to do what God wants us to do, but thank God for a prophet who came to the people and called them out regarding the misuse of their tongue. Let's pray that God does not need to do that to you and I. So that is Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Thank you for listening, and God bless. 
We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.